Good morning, church. Good morning, City Life. It's good to be with you. Hello to everybody at home watching online and everybody here at the park. It's good to be with you today. If you're visiting us for the first time, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And if you're just checking out what this church thing is for yourself, we're really glad you're here. We, we pray that you find what you're looking for here with us today. If we haven't met yet, my name is Ryan Dominguez, and I am the creative pastor here at City Life, and it is my distinct privilege and honor to bring our word to us today, this morning. Um, we're in a brand new sermon series called Our Beatitudes, which is based on uh, a section of scripture called the Sermon on the Mount from Matthew 5. And Pastor Pedro got us kicked off a couple weeks ago, and we read through uh, the Beatitudes and focused on one at a time. Pastor Pedro started us um, through verse 3 last week. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We're going to move on to verse 4 today, but we're going to read them all together. So if you have a Bible, paper or digital or otherwise, uh, let's take it out and let's turn together to Matthew 5. Helpful hint. Uh, Matthew is the first book of the New Testament, so it follows the book of Malachi, and it's right before the book of Mark. Not exactly alphabetical order, and that kind of drives the type A side of me a little bit crazy, but uh, we'll do with it for today. Okay, so thumbs up if you're at Matthew 5, and we're going to read together from starting at verse 1. Matthew 5, verse 1 says this. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And uh, before we switch gears and get into the sermon, would you pray with me, please? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you that um, we get to gather in these ways, both online and together here in the park. And uh, we thank you that you've kept us for this long, um, studying your word, meeting together, lifting your name in worship. And we pray this morning, God, that as we um, dive deeper into this Beatitudes series, God, that you would be with us, that you would um, implant your word in our hearts, that you would speak to us um, about who you are and about who we are in light of that. And God, that you would um, continue to be shaping us and remaking us into the image that you've given us, the image of you, the image of your son, as we look to, um, to live truly blessed lives. Um, you know, the, the world talks about living our best lives, but we truly want to live um, blessed lives in you, in the true blessing and uh, peace and comfort of heaven. So yeah, be with me, God. Um, use your words and not mine, and let your word be what is spoken today. We pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. So uh, by a quick show of hands, who here knows how to ride a bike? That's respectable. Good, good. So if you know how to ride a bike, you should know what these things are, right? Yeah, they're usually like this. Uh, these are training wheels, right? And uh, currently they are the bane of my existence as a dad. 
right? My, uh, my son, Ezra, turned five back in the spring. So uh, my wife and I decided uh, that for Christmas, we would get him his first big boy bike, right? And we got him a bike that was one size up because we knew that at Christmas, um, he wouldn't be the same size that he would be when he was able to ride the bike. So we got it one size up and we got training wheels on it because the previous little boy bike that he had had training wheels on it. So we knew that it would take some time for him to grow into the right size for the bike and that training wheels would help him along the way. So fast forward to the summer um, and he's been riding that thing all over the place, but he doesn't want to take the training wheels off. It's, it's kind of frustrating for a, a number of different reasons, but uh, I've talked to him about it, you know, really tried to encourage him to take them off and try to learn how to ride the bike with just two wheels but he doesn't want to take them off because he's afraid, right? That makes sense, right? Yeah, when you, when you have training wheels on, you learn how to ride the bike in a certain way, and then to take them off is kind of, kind of scary, right? But he's scared of taking them off for a couple of different reasons that I think that they're, even though they're not unique to him, um, they're kind of unique, right? So he, um, he says he doesn't want to take them off because even at five years old, he is afraid of looking foolish. Right? I guess kids start to become more aware of that, um, you know, about how they look to other people when they're, you know, five. And so he's afraid of looking foolish because he'll probably fall down when he takes the training wheels off. Right. That, that kind of makes sense. Um, but also he's scared of more obviously he's scared of falling and getting hurt. Right. Because when you, when you fall, like, you, you know, you all who, who knows how to ride a bike has, has had skin or scraped knees at least a few times while learning to ride a bike. Um, I learned to ride a bike without a helmet, without elbow pads and knee pads, but I have some friends and some cousins who learned with knee pads and elbow pads because they were really afraid of falling down. Um, but so as I was afraid of, of falling down and getting hurt. And lastly, what he's afraid of while um, falling down, he's afraid that uh, he's going to get left behind by his friends. Right, right now, he is um, one of the biggest of his friends, one of the oldest of his friends, um, and he takes great pride in calling himself the fastest. Right, He's like Lightning McQueen. He's the fastest of his friends. And meanwhile, his friends are a little bit younger and a little bit smaller, and they're riding you know, three-wheeled scooters or three-wheeled tricycles, so they have a little bit more stability, but so he doesn't want to lose that speed that he has by having the training wheels. Now, the funny thing is, the training wheels actually do make him seem a little foolish, right? Because, uh, well, put it this way, before you ever see Ezra on the bike, you hear Ezra on the bike. Now, these training wheels are from the old bike, but they're kind of rickety, they're kind of plastic, and they're kind of metal. So they make this terrible screeching, kind of scraping sound that you hear when he's riding on the pavement, even before you see him in your view. Um, so that kind of makes him seem a little bit foolish there, right? And at the same time, he is, by having the training wheels on, he's not actually being fast. He's not being the fastest as he could be because the training wheels kind of slow him down, right? And lastly, as I mentioned before, um, he is riding uh, his bike with training wheels amongst friends who are a little bit younger and are riding kind of toy, toy, toy vehicles. So, you know, it's not quite uh, a good comparison of his speed. So what I've been trying to argue with him, we're trying to get him to see is that if he would just bear the very, very fleeting, but also very real pains of falling down and getting hurt, that he would eventually 
learn how to ride a bike, that he would eventually gain the balance and the satisfaction of learning something new, right? He would have all this freedom and all this independence to ride the bike with two wheels, go as fast as he wanted, um, if he would just bear with learning without the training wheels. Don't we do the same thing as adults? Right? And I'm not talking about riding a bike anymore. But don't we settle for meh because we don't want to endure the real, the very real pains of mourning or the very real pains of confessing or admitting wrong? Don't we um, forego true satisfaction, true transparency, and true community and communion with one another when we don't confess uh, sin when we don't confess being wrong, when we don't call each other out on doing wrong, because it's painful, right? Let's go back to the verse, to verse 4 in Matthew 5, and let's read it again. It says, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Now, it's not the kind of mourning that we instantly think of, right? It's not the kind of mourning that involves mourning a loss one, or the loss of a loved one or the loss of a dream or the loss of a job or financial income. Although Jesus does comfort us when we mourn of those things as well. But here's what John Stott, Pastor Pedro's uh, best friend, writes about verse 4. He says, What kind of sorrow can it be which brings the joy of Christ's blessings to those who feel it? Not primarily those who mourn the loss of a loved one, but those who mourn the loss of their innocence, their righteousness, their self-respect. It is not the sorrow of bereavement to which Christ refers, but the sorrow of repentance. Look, I get it. Who in their right mind reads that verse and thinks to themselves, yeah, mourning, that totally sounds like something people who are living their best lives do. Uh, I'll have a little bit more of that, please. But here's the big idea. When we live lives of regular mourning, we open ourselves and our community up to living our blessed lives in God's free freedom. Let me say that again. When we live lives of regular mourning, we open ourselves and our community up to living our blessed lives in God's free forgiveness. So in the same way that it isn't easy for my five-year-old to like the pain of falling so he can experience the freedom of riding a bike, it doesn't really come naturally to us as adults either to endure the pain of confession and repentance. Take me, for example. Ever since I can remember, my MO has, to been, has been to be a people pleaser, right? I've taken strength finders and I've done SDI and they have both shown me that my overdone strength is people pleasing. So that in everything I've ever done or everything I've been a part of, I've wanted to be seen as someone who was doing the right thing or fitting into the status quo. So this idea of confessing my own sin or admitting to doing wrong was pretty much a no-go, right? Because it, I was scared that it would change the way people felt about me or thought about me. Forget about calling out uh, my peers on their stuff. The last thing I ever wanted to do as a people pleaser was to offend the people I was so desperate to please. So like in fifth grade, right, when um, I begged, no, I kind of demanded um, that my parents would send me to school with ham and cheese sandwiches instead of the delicious 
uh, Filipino chicken adobo and rice that I love so much and that they had just made for dinner. But I demanded that they give me ham and cheese sandwiches so that the other kids wouldn't talk about me. Right? Or like in middle school when um, I pretty much ditched my elementary school friends because they didn't look or dress like my new friends from the more affluent north end of town. Or when I believed the word of a white man in power over the words of uh, the woman that he victimized. Because in my ethics class, we reasoned that the woman had much more to gain by being the victim. Or when I kept my mouth shut when um, an old boss pretty much passed on a potential hire because the candidate had uh, a not-so-pleasing general aesthetic, a.k.a. because of the color of his skin. Or even when I turn a blind eye to people asking for money on the street because my friends and I are convinced that they're just going to blow it on booze and drugs. Now, not all of these are instances of sin, right? But in each case, I chose to go along to get along, right? So that I wouldn't rock the boat by calling people out, by standing up for something that was right, or for standing in defense of somebody who, um, you know, was kind of powerless or victimized. And then there was this recent time when I was um, invited to be a part of this forum online of AAPI pastors and church leaders uh, to grieve and process uh, this uptick in recent hate crimes against Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders. See, uh, none of this, none of the attacks kind of made it onto my radar because at the time, um, I really wasn't in tune with what was happening. I was more the, the dominant culture channels and, and the church channels that I followed on social media um, weren't really talking about this. So I, I graciously accepted the invitation to join this panel in this forum, but my plan was um, I was just going to listen, right? Because in reality, these attacks um, and, and these crimes didn't really resonate with me until I'd heard that one of the victims was a, um, a Filipino woman who was elderly and was just riding the subway here in New York City. So I, I resolved that I was just going to listen, I was going to be there as a support. But as the other panelists began to share their experiences and their thoughts on, on all of this, um, I couldn't help but feel this kind of overwhelming urge in me to confess and to repent. Of what? Well, I wasn't really so sure at the time, because again, all this stuff was under my radar. But as it turned out, God was showing me something. He was showing me that as a people-pleasing, first-generation Filipino-American son of Asian-American immigrants, I had taken all the, the racist um, discrimination, all of the microaggressions, all of the stereotypes about my people to heart. And I'd subconsciously um, kind of pointed them at myself, so much so that I was dissociating um, my identity as a Filipino-American, as an Asian-American, also that I would be seen by the status quo and the people I was trying to uh, please as just being American, you know, without the hyphen. Mm. Um, so as God was showing me that, he was showing me also that, that people-pleasing had become this kind of slavery over myself, that I had turned all that hate and uh, discrimination in towards myself 
and that I was placing um, pleasing people over placing God, that I was putting people in the place of God, that I was idolatrous, right? So when it came to be my turn to share on this panel, I did what God was calling me to do. I confessed, I confessed um, of having these feelings um, about myself, about having these feelings of people who looked like me. And, um, you know, I, I was really expecting condemnation. I was expecting rebuke. I was expecting that the people on the call would really take an issue with these thoughts. Um, but to, to my surprise, I was met with, um, with grace, right? People extended forgiveness. People shared that they understood where I was coming from. And some, po some people even thanked me for putting into words the same feelings that they had had. So God gave me this opportunity to mourn, right? To confess of this sin, to confess of my personal sin, but also just the sin of the status quo, right? I confessed and I repented over idolizing whiteness and dominant culture. I um, confessed to having uh, stereotypes and believing stereotypes about minorities, about women, and about people who were different than the status quo I was trying to please. But God met me there. God met me with his peace, his forgiveness, his comfort, right? Because when we live lives of regular mourning, we open ourselves and our community up to living our blessed lives in God's free forgiveness. I want to take us back to verse 4 again because there's something interesting that we find when we read it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. When we read Jesus' statement again, there's a promise in it. We find the promise in it. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's a promise of being comforted when we mourn over sin. And it says comforted, not condemned. And it says it's not just anyone, but the God, the ruler of all eternity. He's the one who hears us in our pain. And he draws near to us to soothe our fears. That brings me to my first point today and lesson number one. And it's that, that God promises that when we mourn over sin, we will be comforted. We go back to John Stott, right? Because he writes about this promise. He writes, Such mourners who bewail their own sinfulness will be comforted by the only comfort which can relieve their distress, namely the free forgiveness of God. That's definitely what it felt like to me to be heard and forgiven by those pastors and leaders in that forum. And most likely what the tax collector who bewails his sinfulness must have experienced when we read Luke 18. Luke 18 is going to be up on the screen. We're not going to read it all, but it's the story of a Pharisee who comes to the temple to pray. And he says, he looks to the tax collector to the side of him and he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, I tell you this, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. Because right? Jesus 
comforts us when we mourn and we repent of our sin. The Pharisee thought he was holier than everyone. Right? He, I don't think he confessed. He, he went to just kind of boast about how good he was. Whereas the tax collector knew that he was a worm, right? Taking that term from last week. He knew that he was a worm that had sinned and he couldn't even lift up his voice. He was so mournful of his sin and yet God comforted him. God said that he will be exalted because he humbled himself. My second point today is that we confess because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. Right? We confess because there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. After my confession and repentance in that forum, no one showed me contempt. No one condemned me. No one rebuked me. Some even commiserated with me and some thanked me. But there was no condemnation. Paul writes about this in Romans 8. Right In verse 1 he says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He later goes on to say, um, that when we mourn and suffer with Christ, we will be glorified. And in verse 17, it says, Provided we suffer with Him in order that we may also be glorified with Him. Right? When we suffer, when we mourn, we, we endure the pain of, of confessing and repenting. We also make ourselves available to being glorified right, with Christ. My last point for today is um, the fact that Jesus is our comforter. Right? And his comfort is what sets us free. Let me say that again. Jesus is our comforter, and his comfort sets us free. Right? That promised comfort from verse 4 comes from Jesus himself. John Stott writes this, The greatest of all comfort is the absolution pronounced upon every contrite mourning sinner. Consolation, according to the Old Testament prophets, was to be one of the offices of the Messiah. He was to be the comforter who would bind up the brokenhearted, right? And that's who Jesus says he is. When he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, um, Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3, right? He says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn. And get this, this is the comfort part that he brings. To grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. Right, we sang that song earlier about how God turns our graves into gardens, our, our mourning to dancing. He gives us beauty for ashes. Again, this is why I believe that when we live lives of regular mourning, we open ourselves up and our community to living our blessed lives in God's free forgiveness. You might be asking yourself at this point, well, why isn't it enough to understand that I'm poor in spirit? Right, Verse 3 why do I also have to mourn? We go back to Pastor Pedro's, and I think my best friend too now, John Stott, he, he writes this about the difference between verse 3 and verse 4. He writes, this is the second stage of spiritual blessings. It is one thing to be poor, or spiritually poor, sorry, and acknowledge it. It is another to grieve and mourn over it. Or in more theological language, confession is one thing, contrition is another. Even Jesus mourned over the sin of all mankind. And what did he do? He gave his life as, as reparations, right? As, as, uh, as 
penance, as atonement uh, to right all of our wrongs, all the wrongs that we committed against God and committed against each other. Part of repentance involves pain. It involves the painful sacrifice of admitting our wrongs and changing our behavior. Right? This is the repentance part. We change our behavior so that the past sins won't get repeated. Without the mourning part, we can continue in this loop of spiritual poverty and self-loathing because we never open ourselves up to God's comfort and free forgiveness. Pastor Pedro talked about this last week. He said, this isn't meant to be a self-pity party, right? We're not, to me- we're not meant to, to sit in this self-loathing um, of being poor in spirit, but we, we go to God with it, right? And this, this part of repentance and mourning in verse 4 is how we bring it to God and bring it to light, Right? And then we, get experience, we experience and we're promised the comfort and the free forgiveness of God. See, this is an opportunity. And we, we often think of, of confession and repentance as conflict. And, and we shy away from that. But this is actually a great opportunity. right? Because when we mourn over sin, we get comforted. When we mourn over sin, we get freedom over condemnation. And when we mourn over sin... We get Jesus because he is our comforter. So what's stopping us? In conclusion, we focus on this verse 4, the second of the Beatitudes, in order to understand what our next step is in living the blessedness or blessings of Christ. My belief is that when we live these lives of regular mourning, it opens us up, right? It opens us up and our community to God's free forgiveness, the comfort that only God can give us. We get to live satisfied in the promise that it's Jesus, our comforter, not our condemner, not our accuser, not our rebuker, but our comforter who hears our pain, soothes our fears, and forgives our sins. Listen to the words of one of Jesus' oldest and closest disciples. It's John, right? And he writes this in 1 John 1, 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. See, if we walk in the light with him, we have fellowship with one another, and we're cleansed from all sin. Walking in the light, right, that means not keeping stuff hidden in the shadows. And fellowship or love with one another means doesn't mean enmity or animosity or or bare toleration of one another. It's it's love. It's fellowship. It's community. And cleansed from sin means that we're no longer marred. We're no longer damaged. We're no longer dirty and broken by sin because we've been forgiven and cleansed of it by Jesus. So instead, we get life together with Christ and beloved community with one another, forgiven of all our sins. Wait, so you mean instead of hating myself and hiding my sin and going with the status quo flow and trying to dissociate from who God made me and spending a lifetime desperately trying to please people so I could fit in with them, I should have just been honest with them and God? I should have just confessed and lived confessionally and then I'd have true fellowship with people, true, true fellowship with them, true fellowship with others and true fellowship with God? Boy, people-pleasing sounds like a great waste of time. 
And now it actually makes sense why training wheels are the bane of my existence, right? Because it's because keeping secrets and keeping things in the dark instead of dealing with pain, instead of dealing with and exposing that temporary pain from confession and repentance, well, those are actually tools of the enemy, right? Because they keep us from the true comfort of God. They keep us in, uh, separated from one another in animosity and enmity with one another. But if, I, if you just live confessionally, and honestly, and mourn and grieve over sin, we find true comfort in Christ. We find that satisfaction of being um, made free from sin and forgiven. And we find true community with one another. So let's decide. Let's decide this right now that we're going to take the training wheels off, right? And we're going to pursue these lives of regular mourning so that we live in the light and we experience the true comfort of God and His free forgiveness. Amen? Amen. Uh, would you pray with me as we go out today? Let's pray. Father, we, we thank You. We thank You that You have shown us this promise that You provide, that when we walk in the light with You, when we, when we confess and mourn and grieve and repent, over sin, we're not met with condemnation or rebuke or excommunication, but you offer us true comfort because you offer us the free forgiveness that is presented to us by Jesus, our comforter. He's the one who cleanses us of our sin. He's the one who makes us righteous and brings us back, reconciles us to communion with you and each other. God, would you empower us, embolden us to, to walk this out, to um, boldly confess and repent of our sin in community so that we can experience you, that we can experience you catching us, you comforting us, you hearing us in our pain, yet soothing our fears and forgiving our sins. God, you're the only one who brings it, and that's what we want. We know that that sounds difficult at first, but we know that it results in living not just our best lives, but living truly blessed lives in you. We love you, God, and we thank you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So uh, we do have discussion prompts. We have some questions to just chew over in, in this next week. You know, we, we love you guys. We miss you. And, and we're, we're so happy that we get to gather in person. But we want to keep this channel open as well so that we have a, a way for us who aren't, aren't ready to be in person yet or who aren't, you know, who maybe don't live in Jersey City um, at this time that we can, you know, have this time to be together, to chat and to catch up. But also um, these, these discussion prompts give us uh, some, some more ways to process what we've been talking about this week. So my first discussion prompt this week is, um, what is preventing you from confessing and repenting of your own sin and experiencing this comfort of God? Cool. The second prompt is in the same vein, but it talks about kind of the more institutional or the communal sin that we talked about earlier. It is, what is preventing you from confessing and repenting of your complicity in institutional or communal sin and opening yourself and community to the comfort of God? And lastly, how does it make you feel when you read the statement or hear the statement, we the church of today 
must repent of the communal sin of racism. And why do you think you feel that way about that statement? Look, we, we want to encourage you to, to process these questions over the week. But then also an, an additional encouragement would be um, if you feel and you're seeing what's preventing you from confessing, well, let's make time to confess and repent with each other, right? If you're in a missional community, schedule time with somebody from your missional community to spend in confession and repentance. And if you're not, if you're in a discipleship group or you have a discipleship relationship with somebody that you're close with, that you spend time confessing and, and walking with, schedule with them. Make some time to bring things to the light so that we can live in this true forgiveness and comfort that God offers. All right? Great. Well, again, thank you so much um, for being here with us today. We love you. We, we miss you. We want to be together in person. And as soon as that's possible, um, hopefully we can do it all together. Um, oh, just a reminder, at the end of the month, we do have an opportunity to get together. We're going to have a worship night um, at the Fountain of Salvation Church. And that's going to be on Friday, uh, August 27th at 7.30. So join us then, and uh, let's lift up the name of God together and seek His Spirit. Let's pursue His Spirit together. All right? Take care, guys. We'll see you next time.